Radio broadcast. We are live coast to coast and border to border on iHeartRadio today, amfm247.com. And we are going to go to our next guest who is going to join us. Uh, this should be all sorts of fun. We shall see what happens here. I think IQL Rizzoli has joined us. Can you hear me? Hello, IQ. Uh, Dan, can you hear me as well? Are you there, my friend? Of course I can. <laughs> are we on video or are we on radio? Uh, we are doing both today, Doctor, and I'm glad that oh, you are here with us. Wonderful. We have got we have got a great guest to start out our program. We originally were going to have two guests today. We were going to have the doctor, and then we were going to have another guest. But uh, the other guest, ah, uh, well, I don't know. Well, when when it's time to talk about them, we will talk about them. But uh, I want to start here with our first guest. He is amazing. He is uh, Norman E. Rosenthal. He's a clinical professor of psychiatry at Georgetown Medical School. Was a uh, just an amazing, amazing uh, health professional. Check out NormanRosenthal.com for more information. And he has got a lot of different things going on. He prescribes poetry as therapy. Poems, I now realize, thanks to Dr. Rosenthal, can be a literary pancrea for the pandemic, according to the New York Times. And uh, his brand new book, Poetry Rx, How 50 Inspiring Poems Can Heal and Bring Joy to Your Life, is now available. And we go to the old Skip Skype, the old Skype Rooney, and we have got the doctor with us. We also have with us today our co-hosts, uh, IQR Rizzoli, the always opinionated IQR Rizzoli. And as many progressive uh, guests in the past have called him, the most dangerous man in America, Dan Perkins. <laughs> and uh, we'll start with our guest here. Now, Dr. Rosenthal, tell us about this book and... Uh, Poetry as a uh, as as a form of of medication, I guess. Well, you know, I uh, uh, hi. Thanks so much for having me on your show. By the way, yes, yes. I found out uh, through my own experience and okay. dealing with patients, yes, that poems can actually uh, help people feel better. It happened one night. I was. A friend called me to tell me he'd lost a loved one. He was very, very desolate. And I thought, what can I say, you know, to make him feel better? I didn't want to give him a cliche. He was a cultured guy. I said, you know, losing is an art, and it can be developed. And he said, have you read that poem? I said, no, no, what poem are you talking about? He said, One Art by Elizabeth Bishop. And it begins, the art of losing isn't hard to master. And he reads the whole poem through, and I can sort of feel his mood lifting just as he talks. And strangely, so did mine. And I thought, wow, this is kind of interesting. And so then I looked back to my own past and how many times poems had comforted me and made me feel better. And I started looking at my patients and checking, is there any poem that ever made you feel better? And it turned out... 
this one had a favorite, that one had a favorite. And so I collected them over several years, and now I've put them together in, in the collection of 50 poems. And each time I present the poem, I tell a little bit about how it works, I give, a pe give people a, a couple of takeaways that they can take away, lessons from the poems, and then I tell them a little bit about the poet and how that poet and the poem mesh together. Wow. That is pretty amazing. Dan, uh, you, you're a man about town. Do you, do you have any questions here or reaction from the doctor? I do. I have, I have uh, a number of things. Um, one of the things that I would like to do for the doctor is to try and help him just a little bit. Uh, doctor, are you talking to us on a laptop? I am talking on the laptop. Am I, am I getting a sort of double sound coming through? A little bit of a double sound, but more importantly, there's a message on your screen, and it's covering your mouth. Um, I notice you have a lot of books on the bookshelf behind you. Could you, like, pick real quick three books and put them down underneath the laptop and raise the laptop up? I can do that. Half, yes, half, half, half of the... How's that? Now, turn the... Oh, 100% better. 100% better, doctor. Good Lord. I, I, can see your, I can see your mouth. I think if you got a little little thinner one, you can put another one in there. Because before, half the screen was the ceiling, yeah. which is not very attractive. No, but... but are we doing Skype here? We, we, yeah. we, we are doing Skype. We are doing I'm TV. A, I'm a Zoomer most of the time. Same thing's true with Zoom. If you're, if you, if you, oh... Amazingly, look look at that. Just uh, I, I IQ. Uh, I I gotta I gotta go to IQ. IQ. Dan missed his calling with being a television director. <laughs> it was an excellent suggestion. Really, it was very upsetting. I couldn't see the guy. It's much better now. Much and, better. You know that makes two of us because I can't see myself either on the screen. But don't let's worry about that. I've seen myself before. <laughs> So I know what I look like. Yeah, so when, when, when the surrounding around the guest is, is interesting and attractive, what comes out of the guest's mouth, yours, Dr. Norman, is even more powerful. Because yeah. Yeah. Uh, it, 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 it gives a sense. Let's talk about poetry. I, I, I'm, an, I'm an author, and, and I have a foundation for soldiers. It's called Songs and Stories for Soldiers. And I've been working this foundation now is in 131 veterans facilities across the United States. And we've given away uh, about 21,000 MP3 players, which come preloaded with a novel and a custom-designed eight-hour sleep audio. But one of the things that we have on the website where there's more content is a, not – nearly large enough, but a small section of poetry. And as we were building this organization and this, this service, our discussion with people like you pointed out music, theater, drama, uh, and poetry are all things that help soldiers and in, in the civilian life, even other people who are not soldiers, who are dealing with some of these mental issues. Uh, it gives them a rejuvenation of their souls. And I was fascinated about the story you were telling about your friend who lost somebody close to them. Um, 
And, and I'm curious as to how far have you taken your concept? Well, you know, uh, it's, that's a good question. I use it in my own practice. I use it with my own patients. I use it with myself. Uh, but, you know, I also have a sort of very stringent research background. And in research, you have to do controlled studies. And that's not something that poetry lends itself to, uh, you know, to compare one poem to another or a good poem to a bad poem. I, it would, nobody would fund it. So uh, rather than wait for the controlled studies, I've just gotten to the point where if my instinct shows me that a lot of people are telling me and everybody's got a favorite poem that they're bringing to me to show me uh, how I should include it in my collection, to me that's, that's good enough. So, but I sat there through this pandemic with these gems because they really are like the crown jewels of literature that I've pulled together, short poems, but poems mm -hmm. that really can heal. And when you told me about what you're offering to these veterans, it sort of sent chills down my back because I've really worked with veterans. In fact, I've worked with them with meditation, uh, transcendental meditation to be specific. Mm -hmm. And started with a pilot study and then we went on to a controlled study in San Diego in the VA where we compared TM to um, a standard treatment and found it to be equivalent, essentially. And now we're doing, uh, with the David Lynch Foundation, um, a multi-center study with nine centers and top-notch people. But I think where we're in common here is that you need to feed a person's soul. And meditation can do that, but poetry or music can also do that. Right. I was thinking if I could be so bold as to suggest another idea for you. Go ahead. Uh, I'd love to, because I, I work with thousands and thousands of veterans all over the country, and I would love to see you put together a website of poetry that, that people can send their poems to you or to a central location where you publish them, give the author of the poem credit, but maybe you could, in getting it, and I'm, I'm not trying to add to your workload, but maybe you have some friends who can work with you and say, hey, this would make, this would make good, a, a great poem for somebody who's dealing with a loss or depression or whatever. If you, if you create uh, a, a website where that you can preserve it, then there's one very important thing that happens, doctor it'll never be forgotten because it'll be on the internet forever. Well, let, let, me, let me respond if I may. I did create a website called Poetry Rx. It's on Facebook. It's a, what's called a private group. You've got to apply and say, can, but I let everybody in basically. <laughs> <laughs> like a private club that lets everybody in. Have you ever heard of such a thing? Anyway, um, uh, so that's something your listeners should know about, Poetry Rx. It's a, a Facebook page. I also have poetry featured on my own website, which is normanrosenfall.com. But I know you're talking about a vehicle for people who want to put their own poetry on, and that's something you can do on Poetry Rx Facebook page. Good. Terrific. 
Thank you. That is awesome. That is awesome. Dr. Rosenthal with us today. And uh, IQL Rizzoli, do you have any questions for, for the good doctor while we've got him for at least another 15 minutes there? Yes. What kind of people would be affected by poetry? I, am, I'm a, I love history. I read books. I have never read poetry in my life. Well, you know, that's wonderful to, to hear that. Um, I have a, a colleague. Uh, her name is Jane Brody. She's a uh, journalist for the New York Times, and she has been good enough to cover my work in the past. So I had this new book, Poetry Rx, and I approached her about it, and she said, poetry doesn't speak to me. I don't like poetry. <laughs> so I thought, well, that's not a very promising beginning, but she, she allowed me to send her the PDF of my book, and she started looking through it, and thankfully, she is a very open-minded person. And by the time she was finished, she um, she wrote a wonderful column a week ago called "When the Doctor Prescribes Poetry." And um, she she wrote that column and basically acknowledged that her whole approach was turned around. <laughs> Uh, when she amazing. read the book, she also consulted. I had an unknown confederate in the form of a 94-year-old old, old friend, a woman friend of Jane's, uh, who she consulted, who said, yes, I turn to poetry every day. Now, to some extent, uh, there may be certain people, like, you know, somebody may be tone deaf and may not enjoy music. But usually I think it's just a lack of proper training. And so what I would really ask you to do, of course, you can say, well, every author asks you to read his book, mm. but I would ask you to just take a look at it because what I've tried to do is to make this what's thought of as a bit of an arcane art to people. It's so accessible. Once you just have the key to look at the poem, you've got to Read it more than once, because the poem grows with each rereading. Read it aloud, because the musicality of the poem will come through to you that way. So um, I would really encourage you to do that, and then um, get back with me. These good Finally enough, I was thinking... Give me a write. Give me an email. Uh, funnily enough, I was thinking about buying it anyway, because there's no way on earth I could access this type of subject without a book like yours. Thank you very much. I'll do that. Thank you. Dr. Norman, can you hear me? I can hear you loud and clear. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, let's, let's, if, if it's all right with you, Jim, let's, let's take a little bit of time, small yes. amount of time, yes. and, and deal with the myths about poetry. For example, does it always have to run? Does it always have to rhyme? No. It doesn't have to rhyme. Modern poetry mostly doesn't rhyme. But often you'll find um, an internal rhyme where it's not always at the end of the sentence where it rhymes, or what's called a slant rhyme. In fact, rap music uses a lot of slant rhymes. Um, you know, so it could be, you know, if you're writing a wall, you could have fall. But if 
if you had wall and then fell, it would kind of ring a little bit like wall, but it wouldn't sound quite like it. And it's, it has a kind of charm of its own because it's just a little different. But uh, rap music uses a lot of slant rhymes, which was originally used by people like Emily Dickinson, who was a great innovator in the mid-19th century and hardly published any of her poems because they were so avant-garde and ahead of their time. So what's happening today in poetry? Are, 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 is there a renaissance? Are there, are there more recognizable poets? Or is it, is it uh, a secret society? Well, if you look at how Amanda Gorman performed at the recent inauguration of President Biden, it's hardly in the, you know, buried and out of reach. It's right there. She stole the show there with her poem, and it had so much interest and charm to it. And it didn't rhyme. It had a rap-like quality to it. But uh, she's one of the modern avatars of poetry. The rap singers are, but then there are conventional poets as well. Um, who are writing currently uh, and uh, beautiful stuff. So when you write, when you sit down at your computer and you say, "I'm going to, I'm going to write something today," I don't know what your discipline is. I'm a streak writer. I, I could write for days and then then write for not write for months. I'm in a streak of writing right now. And um, but how do you decide what you want to write about in a poem? Well, firstly, I have to feel passion. Something has to move me. Something has to, and then I'm also, I'm a mix between passion and I like something that makes sense, something which I can understand. I don't like obscure stuff that doesn't have, to me, any meaning. But um, there's so many poems that, that I just love um, and that, that, Speak to me. May I read one, maybe? Sure. It's not very long. Love it's called it. Love After Love. Let's see if I have it here. Yes, I have it right here. The time will come. Let me put it right up there. The, this is Love After Love by Derek Walcott, Nobel Prize winning poet from the Caribbean. The time will come when, with elation, you will greet yourself arriving at your own door in your own mirror, and each will smile at the other's welcome and say, sit here, eat. You will love again the stranger who was yourself. Give wine, give bread, give back your heart to itself, to the stranger who has loved you all your life whom you ignored for another, who knows you by heart. Take down the love letters from the bookshelf, the photographs, the desperate notes. Peel your own image from the mirror. Sit. Feast on your life. Hmm. What was the inspiration to write that, Doctor? Well, you know, you never really know, but the guy did get married three times, so... Presumably there were breakups that happened. I don't know whether one was this, this person, but which of us, you see, here you tap into the universality of the poem. 
which of us has not lost a relationship? Uh, maybe we've been dumped, broken up with, whatever. But it's, it's kind of universal. If we haven't, and if one of you guys hasn't, then you're very lucky. But, you know, I know it's happened to me and it's happened to more or less everybody. And the idea of how do you go about it? How do you deal with all the feelings you're left with? The, the anger, the desperation, he says, the desperate notes. You know, the kind of notes you write when when things aren't really working out and you hope you can somehow salvage it, but basically you can't. The, the guilt, the anger, recriminations, etc., etc. He's saying, you know, one day you'll be happy. You'll look in the mirror, you'll see a happy face look back at you and cultivate that connection between yourself and the image in the mirror. Use your, he doesn't say it in so many words, but the scientist in us says, use your mirror neurons, those special neurons in your prefrontal cortex that resonate with the neurons in the other person. Even happens in animals. One monkey smiles at another and the other monkey smiles back. This is a kind of reflexive thing. But when we smile, we actually feel happy. It's not always that we smile because we're happy. It feeds back to the brain again. So he's encouraging this reclaiming of a relationship with oneself, uh, which I think is profoundly helpful to anybody in that situation. Um, I, I would, do I have time to ask another question, Jim? Yes, 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 you do, my friend. We, 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 we've got him all the way up to the uh, middle of the hour here. Okay. Doctor, there's been a great deal of discussion and reporting by the Center for Disease Control in Atlanta. And it talks about one in four Americans are suffering from either severe anxiety or depression, primarily because of what's been happening over the last year with sequestration and social distancing and not having social interaction with very many people. How could poetry help them recover? Absolutely enormously, because, you know, in poetry, you don't have, an, have to have an orchestra, you don't have to have a Broadway show, you've got this book right in your hands, and there are the words that are going to speak to you, that are going to enchant you, that are going to delight you. Some of them are funny, some of them are sad. Uh, as this old lady that I was telling you about, who's a friend of Jane Brody, said, you just flip through the book and see which one are you in the mood for right now and which one speaks to you today, given how you're feeling, what you're going through. Uh, you have this 50 gems from uh, you, you know, hundreds of years of literature that talk to you today as loud and clear and beautifully as they ever did. That's how they can help a variety of things. And I... I tell people in the poems which one, which one will help you when you're feeling down, which one will help you manage your anger, which one will help you when you're in a quarrel with your spouse or with your partner and, and there is a question of who's right and who's wrong. You can pull out a poem by Rumi that said, outside of consideration of wrongness and rightness, there's a field. I'll meet you there. It's not important who's right. It's important that we bring each other together. So whatever your situation is, there's probably a poem 
that's going to be able to help you. Doctor, I want to go back to your Facebook page and ask you another question. You publish your poems on your Facebook page. Let me clarify something. These are not my poems, the ones okay. in my book. These are poems by the great poets of history. Mm -hmm. I, I wouldn't dream to put my poem down next to theirs. But other people on the Facebook page submit their poems. And the other members of the group look at the poems and read them and comment on them. So, um, uh, you know, for that reason, it will serve the purpose of the people that you're looking to see accommodated. Uh, so the poems in my collection here, like there's a poem, Invictus. I don't know if you're aware of it. It's a fantastic poem. That was the one that Mandela had in his fortress prison on Robben Island that he taught to other, to other prisoners that gave them fortitude to stay all those years and hold himself in good shape. Do you want to hear it? Sure. We've got a couple of minutes. Go ahead. William Ernest Henley, Invictus. Out of the night that covers me, black as the pit from pole to pole, I thank whatever gods may be for my unconquerable soul. In the fell clutch of circumstance, I have not winced nor cried aloud. Under the bludgeonings of chance, my head is bloody, but unbowed. Beyond this place of wrath and tears looms but the horror of the shade, and yet the menace of the years finds and shall find me unafraid. It matters not how straight the gate, how charged with punishments the scroll. I am the master of my fate. I am the captain of my soul. So, Doctor, there, there are things going on in the literary world that are changing it and probably going to change it forever. The most popular books in terms of absolute sales are audiobooks. Do you have people who read the poems on your Facebook page? Um, not on the Facebook page. This book, Poetry Rx, is in the process of being turned into an audio book. Wonderful, wonderful. Because it's so important with, with two voice actors, a man and a woman, husband and wife couple, who are going to read the male and female poems. Mm -hmm. uh, and uh, I can't wait. You know, I've, I've had books in the past and I've had them turned into audiobooks and I haven't had much appetite to listen to them because you don't listen to audio just for content. You listen to it for sound. But this one... I can't wait to hear myself. Uh, but you're right there. Incidentally, with Invictus, there were the Invictus Games. That's like the Olympic Games for wounded veterans. Mm -hmm. Took the name of Invictus because of its tremendous inspirational power. Mm. Amazing. Thank you for joining us today. Yes, you Thanks, are. Guys. Thank you, you are so tremendous. Much. It was really a pleasure. So, Dr. Rosenthal, before we let you go, how do people get your book and get in touch with you and everything that you're involved in? Super, yeah. Uh, my website is a very good starting place. It directs you very well wherever you want to go, normanrosenthal.com. Um, 
The book is due out on May 4. It is available for pre-order on Amazon, but hopefully soon will be available everywhere where books are sold, as the expression goes. And um, I'm not hard to find. And, you know, feel free. Be in touch. Fantastic. Well, you have been uh, a pleasure today. And uh, thanks for doing this, Doctor. Thanks for being 